0: Welcome to the Ag Future podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition.
1: I'm speaking with Ian Lahiff, Lead of Operations at Allflex Livestock Intelligence in Beijing, China. Ian was formerly new Business Journal Manager for Alltech in China. Ian, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
1: As wage earnings increase in China, so does the demand for more meat. Meanwhile, the U.S. is easing its way back into the market after 14 years of being banned. But analysts predict the transition won't happen overnight. What is your take on the U.S. reentry into China?
0: Thank you very much. It's a a very topical um, issue, and I'm delighted to be here um, to talk about it. I think uh, the first point is that the demand for beef, as you, as you highlighted, uh, the growing income in China um, is, is, is very, very clear. Um, secondly is that, you know, uh, China needs new suppliers for beef. So it's a very pragmatic approach um, to reward uh, the U.S. for 15, almost 15 years of lobbying and education. Um, and in 2017, obviously, the market was reopened. Uh, Now, the the challenges and why it will take time is simply uh, the Chinese requirements um, for U.S. beef in terms of uh, two aspects. One is traceability um, and one is to do with uh, the use of hormones. So these are the two issues that the the U.S. industry um, and as an industry need to address or have a plan um, so that they can, as you say, get full access um, and take advantage of the huge surge in demand in China.
1: There are debates uh, that take place here in the U.S. as to what constitutes hormone antibiotic free. Some would say a weaning period takes away any trace elements of antibiotics or hormones, and that equals hormone free. Does that mentality cut it abroad?
0: I, I don't think so. I think the, the the young consumers and particularly the age group that we're dealing with, um, you know, if you if you ask them about their, um, their consumer habits and their preferences, um, you, uh, healthy. Um, natural, uh, antibiotic free are all key words. Uh, actually, there was a, a bit of a uh, fuss in China made when McDonald's made their uh, announcement that they would move to antibiotic free in the US. And the Chinese consumers were well, what about China? And when will you move to antibiotic free production here? So I think um, it's it's an issue not only from a government and regulatory perspective, I think that uh, in order to get the full value from the market, moving towards antibiotic-free in its purest form, if possible, is is what the the market is, is really looking for.
1: Canada is spearheading an acceleration project that aims to track an animal from farm to table. There are similar programs on the ground in the U.S. as well. Is this the type of system needed for new market requirements like China's?
0: I think so. I think um, obviously a lot of countries have their own national identification systems um, and increasingly we're seeing the processing companies wanting to get more information as to where the where the animals have come from. Part of it is provenance, part of it is uh, building a brand, consumer trust. If you're making a claim that it's an Angus uh, or, or particular claims about organic, well, you know, how can you back up these claims? So I think part of it is a, is a commercial, but part of it is going to be a government uh, re- requirement in terms of international trade because there are a lot of uh, sensitivities around uh, traceability, particularly in China.
1: China is only second to the US in global beef imports from what I've read. What would you say are the differences in preference in beef product between the US and China? And how do producers raise livestock to meet different market demands? Do you kind of have to pick between one or the other?
0: Yeah, it's a very good question. I I think uh the first thing is that obviously the US um the Angus is the leading uh, beef breed, and and that's partially driven because of Angus's efficiency, but also because of the the particular cuts you get a better, more steak cut. Uh, in China, actually, it's a little bit different. You know that while there are more and more people interested in eating, uh, you know, Western steak and Western beef cons- uh, typical uh, beef consumption, there are actually lots of traditional Chinese dishes and even things like hot pot, uh, where the meat is very thinly cut. And you can actually get value out of all different types of cuts. So, and also there's quite a strong market for chilled meat rather than frozen beef. So, uh, in a lot of Chinese cuisine, they preferred the um, uh, fresh meat and the and the taste of that. And uh, so, there's a preference for those things. So, I think you know, and the message would be, you know, that it's important for producers to understand the consumer experience uh, when they when they're e- eating the beef, and and not only to think well because we can produce a prime Angus, well maybe that's not what the market is willing to pay for or that's maybe not where the volume is. So I think it's good to uh, get an understanding of where the true beef consumption is taking place uh, within the market.
1: Are there parts of the US that are kind of ahead of the curb in meeting some of these demands in um, cultural requirements, being hormone free?
0: Well, according to the U.S. Meat Association, uh, only 3% of the U.S. beef herd officially meets China's requirements in terms of the hormone usage. And for the record, it's about 15% of the of the market of the herd will meet it in terms of traceability. So these are quite uh, low numbers in terms of the, the total potential growth but again it it takes time obviously the market only opened last year and it it opened in a political frenzy and it was all done with a lot of goodwill about um, you know new president and uh, there was a lot of you know a rushed job to get beef into the market where actually when when you get into the the true supply chain challenges I think it will take uh, a lot longer for uh, the producers and the supply chain in the US to get there. I know there are a number of states in the US like Texas, Nebraska, Kansas and Montana that are uh, leading in terms of their engagement with China uh, from a state to government uh, level. Uh, and I'm sure um, there's a huge engagement between the US and China and their beef industries uh, to understand the needs of the market. So. But I I think the market is also moving so quickly in China that the market of 2003 is very different to 2018. And I believe even within a number of years, China's consumption habits will will continue to evolve, so it's a constant moving target.
1: Mm. The United States' main competitor is South America. Uh, How much does ag science play a role in our ability to compete with other countries? For example, utilizing natural feed additives and understanding the significance of modified environments for hygiene and bacteria control. Does the U.S. have an advantage here?
0: I think the U.S. certainly has an advantage. Obviously, uh, what there's a commoditization. When, when you look at the volumes that are coming into China, I mean, we're talking Australia and Brazil, between them would be somewhere in the region of 350,000 tons of beef, which is almost half of Ireland's production, for example, to, to put that in context. Uh, and it's very easy for it to slip to a per tonne Price and uh, you know the initial reaction from Chinese buyers when U.S. beef came on the market, saying, "Oh, it's too expensive." You know, we're used to buying big containers from Brazil that are you know coming in maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars cheaper per container. So I think you know that that is a, a real challenge, and it's not only a challenge that the U.S. would face. I mean, European exporters uh, to to Asia would also. Uh, be challenged by South America. Um, but I think the the efficiencies um, as you, as you mentioned the scale, but also meat quality. I think what what the U.S really has is it, it not only does it have the the science and the and the excellence but it has a grading system to back all that up. and I think um, the, you know the USDA and, and the prime cuts and all that is well understood in the, in the in the Asian markets as a sign of quality and reliability.
1: If U.S. beef is at a cost and a disadvantage in a price-sensitive market like China's, what are some strategies that U.S. farmers not using hormones can do to increase profit? And same question for farmers that have not yet moved away from hormone additives. What can they do to increase profit margins?
0: Well, I think it's a very exciting time. I mean, the the supply chains are changing. And part of what's driving this is this incredible Chinese entrepreneurial a spirit, and uh, if you think of Alibaba and JD, these are these e-commerce giants. And if you look at what they've done in a comparable sector, seafood, they've taken all of the middlemen and all of the traders out of the supply chain, and now they work directly with producers, engaging in terms of customer experience, giving feedback, but also shipping the product in. So it's it's the freshest it can be, it's the closest you can get to to your customer. So I think my my advice to any of the ranchers is to Try to find a way to connect directly with these e commerce platforms and build you know in so far as possible your own brand um so maybe your order will come directly from from China rather than going through three to four potential trading companies which where where margins will be added but very little value might be created so I think that's what I'm seeing in seafood, and I think that's what um when you saw the activities in two thousand and seventeen when the market was open first. A lot of Chinese entrepreneurs are looking around. Maybe they'll take stakes in U.S. businesses as part of their commitment uh, to disrupting the supply chain.
1: So, how difficult is it for ranchers to make those connections?
0: Um, well, the first thing is you can officially you can get in contact with these these companies. They all have offices in the U.S. Um, the thing is they're they're hun- they're almost like hunters, so they'll find you. So make sure you know as your own branding. Make sure you have a website think about social media. Are you on Chinese social media platforms? Are you on Western social media platforms? You know, Is there a story behind your beef? Is it well understood? Does your story connect with Chinese consumers, Asian consumers? Um, and, and maybe you know, engage some people that have experienced the region uh, to give some ideas as to how you can connect um, and, and then generate demand uh, through that way.
1: The U.S. beef brand is not as familiar as other brands in China because it hasn't been on the shelves, which are already crowded with its competitors. So how do you get Chinese consumers to kind of take notice of it once it is actually on the shelf?
0: Well, the, I, or in I, the
1: freezer? In the freezer, <laughs> yeah. On the sh-
0: um, I think generally the U.S. is, is uh, seen as a, a model of quality uh, for, for products in general in, in China. Obviously, if you look at uh, the premium offerings in the market at the moment would mostly be probably Australian, Australia, New Zealand. Um, but you, again, you're into the differentiation here between, say, grass-fed. So the Australian premium would be a grass-fed Wagyu, uh, whereas you know American might be a grain-fed Angus. And again, it's it's about education. It's about using these uh, online platforms. Um, it's about training people on how to cook because one of the, the challenges is you might have an excellent. Uh, beef quality, but if somebody cooks it very badly, it's, uh, you know, people say, oh, that American beef isn't as good as people say. So I think it's about following it right through to to consumption. But again, I've seen, I was in Carrefour, one of the major, and Walmart in the last few months, just looking around and, you know, there's this US beef with flags and uh, the price obviously isn't as competitive as the Australian beef, but uh, certainly generating uh, customer interest. And also the symbol of black Angus, you know, the Chinese consumers seem to think when it's pure black animal, it's definitely high quality. Whereas sometimes with the crossbreeds that we see in Europe, I remember bringing Chinese beef farmers to Europe and they look at a, a field of I- Irish cattle and say, oh, how could the beef be good from those? You know, they're all different colors. So it's even very simple messaging, things like this for, uh, can, be, can be used to the U.S.'s advantage.
1: So cultural education, marketing. And um traceability,
0: yeah, I think traceability. I mean, you know there there are a lot of interesting technologies that I that I'm seeing in the market. obviously, Walmart um, have an interesting relation with IBM. And they're doing a blockchain project in China. Um, they're looking at beef. their their pilot was in pork and uh, fruit, but beef is next. I think you can use DNA traceability. it's it's already being widely used in the US. And I think it's a it's a thing of say of understanding that, you know, can we get a premium by being more transparent? So rather than adding extra cost and extra work, ensuring that this is this is really driving a premium. And I think that's part of the business model that by by being uh, fully transparent and, and, and providing the confidence, you know, can you get an extra few cents per kilogram or whatever? I think that's, that's a key part of the negotiation skills that I'm sure the US beef guys are going to be really good at that too.
1: And lastly, how, how far do you think we are away from being able to implement some of these programs?
0: I don't think very far at all now. I mean, there there's obviously a bit of concern uh, due to what we call this impending or ongoing trade war. Uh, if you look at some of the commodities, there was a very famous um, turning around of five uh, shipping containers of sorghum, so they were on the way to China when the uh, tariffs were announced. Um, And they were actually, three of them were diverted to other markets and two were sent back to the US. So, uh, with beef, there's a lot of um, hesitation as to, you know, the extra tariffs will make the price even more, uh, even higher. And there's also concern that um, during this sort of potential tension that if your beef is in port, suddenly there will be a, an issue and they'll say that paperwork isn't right, our software system is down, please reapply, and suddenly your shelf life is shortened. Or There's a certain, a lot of concern about these things. Um, but I would say, you know, the demand is so strong, China will need another 600,000 tons of beef by 2020. Um, and where, where do you turn for, for that beef, realistically, if you want beef coming from reliable sources, you know, you, Ireland is a good example of, and the US are the two prime countries that aren't already exporting. Um, so in that sense, it, it, you know, it's, it's now time to take the action so that by 2020, you know, of that 600,000, can the US get 200,000 tons, 300,000 tons. So the sky is potentially the limit because the Chinese domestic industry is contracting um, so, the, it's, a, it's a perfect storm for, for uh, U.S. beef producers. Now it's just a matter of sending the right signals and, and taking the right actions.
1: Ian Lahiff is lead of operations at AllFlex Livestock Intelligence in Beijing, China. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future podcast, presented by AllTech. For show
1: notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash agfuture.